Is Vladimir Putin going to take over the world? No, he's not. How can you be so sure, Pastor Rick? Well, I'm about to share with you a discussion called empires. Empires. Now, let me just read you a passage from the Bible to get started. In uh, the ESV I have here in the book of Psalms 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. I could read the rest of that chapter, but the last verse says, Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. Now, based on the first and last verse of chapter 24, we can assume that if the Bible is correct, and we believe that it is, the earth is the Lord's, and that is Yahweh in the original, and the fullness thereof. So the only world ruler that ever has been would have to be God. Now, I'm going to have to talk about that just a little bit because a lot of people believe the Antichrist will rule the whole world when he appears. We'll talk about that just a little bit in a moment. I want to point out to you that there has never been a world ruler. Hitler was trying to expand into all the world and he met his demise. And you could name one right after the other. Let's go back to after the flood, Nimrod, who led the people, if you put everything together, in building the Tower of Babel. And of course, God confounded the languages and Nimrod met his demise. Some say that Esau actually killed Nimrod. Now, I don't think you'll find that in the Bible, but I believe rabbinical tradition says that Esau killed Nimrod. It could be in an extra biblical uh, book. But at any rate, Nimrod never did rule the whole world. He, he did build about five cities that he's responsible for, I believe, according to the Bible. And so he had a region that he was expanding. And that is something that has happened throughout history. There has been an expansion of a kingdom into an empire. If you want to compare and contrast the two terms, then an empire would be bigger than a kingdom. A kingdom could be relatively small. In fact, uh, in the Bible, a lot of these cities were city-states and they had a king over the city. So a kingdom could be relatively small. An empire you would think of as being something that would be quite large and probably involving more than one king with a king over the king or a king of kings, if you please. Okay, so we could go all the way through history and name kings that were powerful. Uh, but I want to start by talking about something that's relevant and to today, contemporary, if you please. I have a little map here in front of me, a world map. And if I look at the caption above it, it says, fact check, has the earth, when they tell you the world is against Russia, 
Now, right now, the accusation is that Vladimir Putin wants to restore the Soviet Union, which was large, probably in landmass, if not population, compared to maybe any other uh, nation or group of nations in the world at one point. Of course, we know that now a lot of those nations that were part of the Soviet Union, which are relatively small compared to Russia, are no longer part of the Soviet Union, including the disputed Ukraine right now. Okay? So the accusation is that Vladimir Putin wants to restore or restore the empire, if you please, of the Soviet Union. Now, nobody has gone so far as to say that Vladimir Putin wants to rule the world. Um, another thought is that China has huge influence in the world right now. I mean, go try to buy something and see where it's made. And probably 75% chance, depending on what it is you're purchasing, you're going to see, if you look for the small print, made in China. So the Communist Party of China, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, has uh, expanded its influence and now wants to um, not only have Hong Kong, but take Taiwan back. So there's that. Um, but this particular map that I started talking about has the world, and it has yellow for the nations that are sanctioning Russia because of this incursion into Ukraine, which we could talk about the motivation for that, and I have to some extent in a different episode I am not necessarily getting into that motivation in this episode. I'm just talking about the facts of how the world is configured and divided. So it shows in yellow the nations that are against Russia or sanctioning them, Russia. And that would be Canada, Canada, the United States, Greater Europe, and Australia. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. The rest of the world, Latin America which is South America, Mexico, and Central America, Africa, which includes many nations, um, other parts of Asia, and of course Russia, are in gray, meaning that they are not sanctioning Russia. So this shows you right away that there are different empires. I'm going to go ahead and use that term empire for this um, podcast episode to make a point that this earth is divided into factions and we could call those factions empires. Um, in some cases they are alliances, nations that have agreed to support one another in the event of a world war, a nuclear war, and for other reasons, perhaps diplomatic, um, you could probably divide the world into three or four empires. If you were to read 1984 by George Orwell, I think he always had three empires, and they were always at least two of them fighting each other. 
at least that's what the government that was over George Orwell, or actually not George Orwell, but his main character was um, experiencing. They were always at war with at least one of the other empires. At least that's what they told them, and that way they kept the citizens under thumb. Okay, now I want to come back to that map that I just referred to at the end of this discussion. But let's go back through biblical history. Now remember, biblical history is primarily centered around the nation of Israel, even before it existed, because it it was all leading up to God calling Abraham, the reasons why God would call Abraham uh, from a pagan culture and create a new nation that we ultimately call Israel. And we could go through how that evolved. But many of you know your Bible, so you know that that did occur. And so during that time, um, and we're talking now post-flood, but we go to pre-flood, we don't have much Bible written before the flood. That refers to the time frame. Even though it was a long period of time, and uh, we know everything was destroyed in the flood except Noah and his family, so they started over, and Nimrod tried his thing, and he caused the nations to be scattered, the people to be scattered, languages, um, 70 original nations, according to Genesis 10, Tower of Babylon's in Genesis 11, Genesis 12 is the call of Abraham, and so from there, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob became uh, Israel, Israel had 12 sons, 12 sons became the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel was originally in captivity where it had uh, part of its genesis during the 434 years in the captivity in Egypt, led out of Egypt by Moses. Joshua led them into the promised land. They were assigned to different portions of the land there in the Levant or in Israel. And they, the 12 tribes became the nation of Israel. Then David... Um, Saul, David, and Solomon were the first three kings. Solomon um, had two sons. Oh, he had a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam became the king over the southern nation of Judah when it split and formed Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and Jeroboam was the king over the northern nation. Okay. So then they each, each of the two nations that were from the original nation had their lineage of kings and then they ran their course because of sin and the northern nation, Israel, sometimes referred to as Ephraim, um, the northern nation was carried off into captivity into Assyria. So post-flood... There were two empires. There was Assyria and there was Egypt. And then you probably could say there was Israel because David and uh, in particular Solomon too, I would think, before the split, and maybe even Saul. That nation of Israel was, was expanding. When the Queen of Sheba came to see what Solomon was doing, she said the half has not been told. 
But then the split occurred, and it all almost went downhill from there for the most part, except in Judah. There was, a little, there was some ups and downs, and basically it was down. Until finally, Judah was carried into captivity into Babylon. So after the flood, you had Assyria and Egypt adjacent to Israel. You had Israel. Then you had the split in Israel, Israel and Judah. Then you had uh, Assyria was overcome by Babylon. Now when Assyria was overcome by Babylon, that means that Babylon had the major land mass of that part of the world at the time. It was no longer Assyria. It was Babylon. Egypt still existed. Okay? And all the little nations around that are not mentioned because they don't figure into the Bible account of what was going on that much were there. And that's proven because when Babylon was overcome by another empire called Persia, the Medes and the Persians, when Xerxes, between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Esther, went off to fight the Greeks, the Greeks now, way off to the west, he was defeated. And yet the Greeks were not considered a world empire at the time. They had their land mass, they had their geography, they had their politics, they had their people. But then the Greeks overcame the Persians and they assumed and conquered much of the same landmass. In fact, have you ever heard the saying that Alexander the Great, who died in his 30s, by the way, some say of cirrhosis of the liver, Alexander the Great sat down and cried because there was no more world to conquer. Now, I was doing a little research on that a little while ago, and I don't think that's entirely correct. I think that's one of those things that gets written into a story after the fact that might have some origin in a, a facet of truth, but is not necessarily true because there was plenty of world to conquer, but he conquered all that he was able to. So whether he sat down and cried or not, because of that, I don't know. Maybe in a drunken stupor he sat down and cried because he thought when he was drunk there was no more world to conquer. But there was other worlds. There were other geographies. There were other nations that are not included in the account. But if you go back in history, you can find these large empires that keep over... Uh, whelming each other and then becoming this, basically the same, fairly much the same landmass with different borders as to uh, the exactness, but pretty much the same landmass in the Middle East and, and the Far East and uh, across part of Northern Africa and so forth. You had Assyria, you had Egypt, you had Israel, you had Babylon, you had Persia, you had Greek, and then you had the Romans. So there had to always be competitive or adversarial nations on the periphery of these large empires that you could call world empires. And, fig and, and in the Bible, sometimes the term whole world is used. Depending on the context, it might mean the then known world as relates to Israel 
and I'm putting all these qualifiers in here to let you know that we're not even talking about North America or Latin America yet in any of this discussion except for what, when I referred to the map uh, earlier on about Russia and Ukraine and so forth and the sanctions. But when we're talking biblical history, we're not even, I haven't even talked about North and South America, those two continents, or Australia, or Antarctica. <laughs> I haven't even done that. So my point is this, you have to look at the context and realize that even when there's an empire, like more recently the Soviet Union, even when there's a large influential nation like China or the United States or maybe, I don't know, Canada, you take the European Union, that's a configuration of nations with kings, so to speak. You know, prime ministers and presidents, granted, but kings. And so what I'm saying is there's always more world besides the direct focus. And that's always been the case. That will be the case during the time of the Antichrist. It says he made the whole world, the whole world wondered after him. That doesn't mean the whole world can't... Um, if you mean every single nation, every single ethnic group, that doesn't mean that they can't marvel or adore or admire or aspire after him, or he can't have an influence or an impact on the whole world. But as far as him completely dominating and ruling the whole earth, it may be a stretch. But if it happens, it would be for a very short period of time. Okay? Now, I'll come back to that in a moment, but I wanted to come full circle to this map that I mentioned, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes ago. And so I look at this map and I see Canada, United States, Europe, and Australia, and Japan, I didn't, and South Korea, New Zealand, in yellow, sanctioning Russia. I'm seeing the biggest part in my opinion, of an effort to expand and become a global empire. Now, I'm not saying it's what you and I want, if, if you're an American listening to me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are people in government, there's people in influence, there's people in power, there's people with riches, there's people in the United Nations, there's people, um, people call them the cabal, they have family names. I could start naming them, but then I could get off track, and I, I would need to maybe defend each one, so I'm not doing that. The World Economic Forum, all the efforts that have taken place recently with the COVID virus, with um, the lockdowns, the open border to the south, the incongruous uh, actions of taking our presidency by fraud, um, all the lies that the mainstream media puts out, there is definitely not that much incompetency. There has to be an agenda. So I'd call that agenda the uh, effort for globalism. Now, ironically... Russia, and this is not to say Putin's a good guy. Now, there's, I know there's, I 
think I know at least one person that thinks Putin's a good guy, you know, based on his Russian Orthodox faith and so forth. And um, he does stand against some of the moral things that we are against when it comes to sexuality, marriage, family, and so forth that are going on in our culture. But I'm not defending him. I don't have enough um, information to defend him. I'm just pointing out that I believe he's more of a nationalist. He's a Russia first president. Could be a dictator, could be a communist, but he's Russia first president. I don't think he's trying to take over the world. I don't even think he's trying to uh, take back over the Soviet Union. There may be a nation or two that are, that's in dispute for various reasons that we're not getting into here that he may rationalize is okay for him to take over, but that's, that's another discussion. And I believe that he is a, a nationalist. So there are a lot of nations that are, their rulers are nationalists. They don't, they're not trying to um, colonize the world or take over the world. But there is an effort to take over the world. We call it globalism. I believe it's seeded in the United in the uh, the United Nations. Ironically, that sits on our shores, and uh, a lot of what's going on is that effort. It won't completely succeed, but right now it's causing a lot of problems. Now this effort in my opinion, is an anti-God effort. I think it's been proven that whenever someone is trying to take over the world to make a large part of the world come under one government that controls its population, and, and often really rigidly, it's an anti-God, anti-Christ effort. It's of the anti-Christ spirit. And we believe, uh, John said, there was many antichrists at the time, but there was an antichrist coming. In Revelation 13, he's called the beast that comes up out of the sea. And so uh, most uh, fundamental evangelicals, I think, believe in their eschatology that there is an antichrist coming, a figure that will presume to take over the world and will have some influence over the world. But even if he's successful, it would be for a short period of time. So that's why you see uh, and hear so much conjecture about what is actually occurring. Because each of these groups, and I haven't named them all by any stretch, I've just named the bigger ones. you got Russia, you got China, You've got those in yellow that I mentioned. You've got the UN, which overlaps with those in yellow, and the rest of the world for that matter. But I mean, there's elements in the UN that um, are trying to impose this worldwide uh, government on the world. It's just not going to work. It's not going to work. It's causing a lot of turmoil, a lot of trouble, a lot of pain, but it's not going to work. 
But the Antichrist, when he emerges, he's supposedly going to be so charismatic that he's going to be believed by many uh, because he's such a deceiver. He's going to be believed by many because he's so powerfully deceptive. But it's only going to last for a short time. So that brings me to this passage of Scripture I want to read in the book of Revelation. And uh, I think it's very insightful in Revelation 16, 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings, notice that, that's plural, from the east. So basically, we're talking about the Asian people, and that could also include, um, I'm trying to think of the geography, that could, that could include... Um, some Arabs, it could include um, some Indians from India, and so forth. So the kings of the east. Notice, though, the plural part is what I want you to focus on just for a moment. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's the devil, Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. So... Three powerful demons in the vision John saw come out of these three entities that were demonic themselves. You know, Satan, chief demon, devil, um, the Antichrist, the Satan in the flesh, and then his false prophet or preacher. So three unclean spirits, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings, plural, of the whole world. So here we have one of the frogs comes out of the mouth of the Antichrist who's supposed to be ruling the whole world. So this is what I'm trying to point out to you. He's actually in rulership over a large portion and influencing the rest of the world, but there are other kings and powers in the world, or else you wouldn't have a statement like this. See? These kings have to be deceived to get them to come to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And they assemble themselves at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. If we continue to read verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, great earthquakes such as there's never been since man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. The cities of the nations, plural, fell. And God remembered Babylon great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Okay, so in the book of Revelation, we see a reference, like we do in the book of Daniel and some other books, to this large landmass that I formerly referred to uh, in the area of Assyria, Egypt, but then Babylon, then Persia, then Greek, and then the Roman Empire even. I haven't even mentioned the Ottoman Empire, but I just did, didn't I? <laughs> um, 
These are groupings that come under the rulership of a dictator, king, or emperor for a period of time, and then usually they're overcome by somebody else. So today, like I said, we've got Russia, we've got China, we've got the United States, and we've got other lesser powers. These are considered the more powerful because of their nuclear arsenal. I mean, you could mention North Korea, you could mention India, you could mention Israel, of course. You could mention uh, Iran, who's trying to get a nuclear weapon developed. So I'm just saying, when you watch all the uh, unexplainable jockeying for position and everything in the world, keep in mind that there's more than one power that politically and uh, nationally that's, that's in play. If you want to get real specific, you got good and evil, you got God and the devil. But when you divide the uh, nations up, you know, even when Jesus comes to sit on the throne of his glory, the Bible says in Matthew 25, the nations will be gathered before him. In the millennium, the nations will go up and worship in Jerusalem. So there are always groups that are not fully submitted to a so-called world empire. But in the millennium, there will be one king that will rule the world, and that will be the Lord Jesus Christ for 1,000 years with a rod of iron. And then after the millennium, eternity sets in. Lots of things that could be discussed there. But I just wanted to talk about empires with you for a little while. I know I haven't said it all, but I've said plenty, and we're coming up on 30 minutes. So Lord, bless the hearer, the student, the disciple of Christ. As we go forth to do your will, help us to keep a good understanding of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.